0: I'll let you know. We should be live in a second. Okay, guys, we're live.
1: All righty, and we are live. What's up, everyone? Thanks for uh, tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My I'm name glad, is.
0: Mar- I'm glad you didn't say after dark. It's after hours. Thank God. I've been, you're saying,
1: I've been saying after hours fine the last three times. Okay.
0: All right. All right I'll give you a break. Police
1: Off time. the Cuff After Hours. Uh, my name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. My co-host in all things law enforcement, Bill Cannon. What's up, Bill? Um,
0: a busy, busy week uh, for police. You know. Uh, Some crazy, crazy shit is happening, and we're going to discuss all of that crazy shit with our great guest, Tom Joyce. All right. Let me introduce him, Bill. Okay. Um, I want to take your job from you. Yeah. (laughs) Bill is always chomping at the
1: bit, man. (laughs) He's always... Easy, brother. Easy. We're going (laughs) to... Let me guide us right in here. Our guest today is a retired lieutenant commander of the Cold K Squad. He also worked in uh, various other detective bureau assignments. He's the former VP of business development at Motorola VAS. And uh, he's a cur- uh, currently, he's a consultant at uh, law enforcement technologies.
0: Welcome, our guest, Tom Joyce. Oh, no. Tom, you got to turn your mic on. <laughs> Tom, your sound is uh, not up. It's showing that your mic is um, is is muted. All these uh, all these crazy uh, technical difficulties. Tom, you got to get your um, you got to get your mic and gear there. All righty, man. He's frozen. All right, let's let's just start talking, Mark. One of the things that uh, hopefully he'll figure this out. One of the things that they were talking about is this crazy concept of qualified immunity. Have you been following that?
1: Well, I think that means that the police officers are going to have to insure
0: themselves. Well, yes, yeah, somewhat. Basically, qualified immunity indemnifies you.
1: Tommy, are you here? Still no, no sound.
0: Your, your microphone's yeah.
1: muted. You got to put the sound on. Tom. Oh, he's connected to audio. Are you there yet?
0: (laughs) His microphone's muted.
1: It's kind of ironic that he's the VP of technologies, right? (laughs) Somewhere. Are you there? Can you hear me? We
0: get it. Well, let's talk for our audience. He'll figure it out. Basically, what it means is that the indemnification, you know, judges, ADAs, all of those people are indemnified and cops are indemnified, but they're trying to take that away from police officers where cops would have to get their own liability insurance. I mean, with every bad thing that's been happening to the police this week, uh, let's add another thing, you know, well, qualified Im- immunity. We're,
1: going, we're going back to uh, what I was what I mentioned in the weeks prior about privatizing police. And that's just another step. Once I I
0: don't think that's what it's about. I think they're trying to take the money away from police and give it to social service programs. That's what this is all about. They took a billion dollars. Tom, can you hear us now? Can you (laughs) hear me? Yeah, now we can. All right, finally we got him back. All right, listen.
1: uh, I think it's uh, we we should probably start all over again. You ready? I'm kidding. (laughs) We're ready. We're ready. I'm not going to go through the whole uh, the intro again, but Tom, welcome.
2: Yeah, thanks guys.
1: It's good to have you aboard. Um, Bill, you know, he just jumped into something uh, real quick there, but we'll come back to it right now.
0: I wasn't gonna um, let our audience sit on their hands with us just looking at each other, waiting for his, his yeah. sound to come on. Uh-huh. So um, I, I'm, working, I'm working two different devices, can you hear me? You better turn your phone down, cause you're echoing.
2: Can you guys hear me now?
0: Yeah, now we can hear you.
2: Yeah, yeah now you're good perfect can you hear me now yeah, yeah. We're okay okay so i think uh i think we're good so so what mark when you were introducing me when they said i'm a consultant now that's just a fancy word for unemployed just saying so uh,
1: <laughs> is that is that what happened right now with the covid
2: um yeah you if you want to call it covid we can call it covid um but I have a very interesting dynamic and I think our audience would really appreciate hearing about what it means for a law enforcement um, member to go into the private sector. Um, but that, you know, that's a, that's an interesting conversation I think we'll dive deep into. Um, yeah, but,
1: you know, consultant work, that's the way it is in a way it's kind of a uh, piecemeal. You, you know, you're like a comedian, you know, you take the work when you get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know exactly. what I'm saying?
1: If you're lucky, you're booked enough, a lot. And there's times that it's not, you're not booked that much. That's what, that's what a consultant
2: is. Yeah. So, um, so I, where are you right now? I'm in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, you guys, um, no one knew what Charlottesville, Virginia was until the, um, white supremacist riots and, the the tearing down of the statues. And this is the home of Thomas Jefferson. So, um, Everyone knows what Charlottesville is now and where it is on the map. It's central Virginia, two hours south of DC, an hour and a half west of Richmond. Uh, beautiful place to live, great place. Um, hey, is, that, is, that, is that your tiki torch back there? It is, you see that, you see that? You, see that? Um, you know, cause it is Thursday and like Thursday is really little Friday. So we're already, um, we're already started. That's all I'm
1: gonna say. Oh, is that, is that what they say in, in Virginia? Uh, th- yeah, little uh, Thursday's Friday. Little Friday?
2: That's right, Little Friday.
1: Oh, that's a good saying. Yeah, I appreciate you can use the, that. I appreciate the fact that every state has its own um, identity. That's what makes this country unique, you know?
2: Sure. absolutely. Sure. And you, you can use that, Little Friday, so you can use it. Uh, hey, Tom,
1: I, I gotta tell you, I was reading some of your articles and they're really, they're really so good. If anybody, our audience gets a chance. Where can they find these articles?
2: So I'm on LinkedIn, um, Tom Joyce on LinkedIn. You'll find me NYPD. I worked at LexisNexis Vigilant uh, Solutions, which is an LPR provider, and then ultimately Motorola. Um, in our circles, in our group, um, <clears throat> everyone will find us on at LinkedIn. Tom Joyce. um,
0: You know, Tom, have you have you noticed that LinkedIn is getting more and more political?
2: Yes. Not only that, Bill, but you really raised an interesting point. Um, I was talking to the chief of detectives, Eugene Roy, of the Chicago Police Department, and his stuff is getting suppressed. And I thought the same thing was happening with some of the articles that I was writing. Uh And um, I think they're censoring us, to be quite frankly with you. It's
0: unbelievable. You know, how do these trolls get to LinkedIn? And what is it about what we would write that they object to? But all these trolls come on that have no idea about policing, but they, they print everything these people say.
2: Yeah. I, you know, it's fascinating. I watched, I, I mean, I, I've watched a lot of stuff that I can't believe the misinformation and the bad Great information. Noise. And the outright ignorance, yeah, it's it's terrible, guys. It's
1: terrible. We got a buzzing noise there. You guys hear it?
0: Yeah, just turn it down a little bit. Maybe it's it's feeding back. Do you have your phone sound on also at the same time?
2: Yeah, everything sounds good on my end, guys. Okay. Well, we're
0: getting anyway. Yeah. So I've had people on LinkedIn. You know, like a guy was talking about. It was from a company that has uses. you know, facial recognition, uses drones, uses this, that, and the other thing. And he was talking about using it to track COVID-19 people that aren't complying. And I said, hey, dude, why don't we we use that for the purpose it was meant for? To track rioters and criminals and to identify criminals. You know, license plate reader, same thing. Not to track law-abiding citizens who aren't complying with the mask rules. It's
2: it's outrageous. Outrageous. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting. So the cap- the, 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 my, my technology journey through the vendor world since I retired has enlightened me with what's capable and what is acceptable in the communities. And, um, you know, I think COVID and then the rioters in the last couple of months have really enlightened me that they're more aggressive towards someone wearing a mask than someone carrying a gun in these urban environments, they're more aggressive towards um, these so-called peaceful protesters, and yet um, you know they, they don't want to go after them, but they'll do go after the cops for responding to the protesters, and yet this technology is available, um, you know, through license plate readers and cameras and video analytics and all this stuff. And no one ever wanted to touch this stuff. So what is capable and what is really deployed are two very different things.
1: How about non-lethal weapons? What's out there right now that we should be using to help the cops with uh, with these riots that they're not using?
2: So it's a great question, Mark. Um, right now um, the company Axon that has the taser device and there's various um, multiple deployments. There's the pulse. There's a bunch of different types of tools. There's so many other companies trying to get into this space now with non-lethal non-lethal devices between rubber bullets, between what they call a wrap, where the, it shoots this, this, these two balls and they wrap around your legs. Bolo wrap. Bolo wrap. Yeah, my favorite thing. Any hot Any
0: commissioner? Hot net backs that up he's trying to he, he's gonna be our first advertiser so we're gonna plug that bolo wrap I don't, understand, I don't understand how they create this thing the bolo
1: wrap it can't wrap around your neck it goes either or it goes where you point it to uh, there's a light that goes on it goes around well, your It knee can't neck.
0: strangle you it doesn't yeah, it, it doesn't goes around your
1: ready. torso and it's a it's so easy it's so yeah. why doesn't every department have this already it blows my mind yeah
2: so, so what I can share with you uh, guys is how difficult it is to get and penetrate a law enforcement agency and try to get a procurement process in place for a new technology. It is a very long and arduous process. Sales cycles are six to 12 months at best, two years to three years if you got a new product. I mean, anything that you would present today would take five years before it is ubiquitous and- and Do you think that's
1: because they're just sitting around waiting for the government to give them old military stuff?
2: Bureaucracy, red tape, you know?
1: Because I remember when we got the gas mask and the gas mask was just old military stuff, stuff that they, they couldn't use anymore, so they gave it to us. Remember the gas mask, Bill? Yeah.
0: I remember that, remember that stupid hood you pulled over your head? That was ridiculous. Was supposed to, like, if there was gas in the subway. That wouldn't even have worked. It was the biggest jerk-off I've ever seen in this department. <laughs> They made you carry that fucking thing. It caught on fences and everything. You couldn't even walk. You had so much shit. And it was useless.
1: So so back to your point, you saying that if you had the greatest product in the world that could save the world right now, save police officers from, um, from indictments, it, it would take five years before you could even...
2: I what think is it that the, what,
1: what, what is the department's looking for? Are they actually
2: looking for something? Well, so I'm more into the um, software analytics and data world. Um, having left the, the, the detective division, and I'm a big proponent of using the computers to pinpoint who you're looking for and 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 identifying leads out of that. What's the um, Warren
1: Squad, the, our best friend, was uh, the computer. What's that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Our best friend was the the computer. Whoever whoever was the best at the computer caught the most people. Absolutely.
0: Tom, you know something though? Everything, even computer uh, sites, turn out to be racist. Artificial intelligence is racist. Facial recognition is racist. License plate readers are racist. These are technologies that aren't aimed at anyone, they're aimed at aiding the police. And apprehending bad people or preventing yep. crimes, you know? Nope. Shot spotter is racist. All that stuff is racist. How are these things mean. racist? Google, the company Google doesn't want to supply facial recognition to police departments. They yep. should just bitch slap Google and say, I've got your guy. Tom, to? why don't police departments or law
1: enforcement in general Why don't they collaborate and come up with their own hire somebody to create their own facial recognition.
2: So what's really interesting, guys, is that there's a bunch of thought leaders in the space. IACP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, Major City Chiefs, um, uh, Major City Sheriff's Association. There's a lot of associations that I would like to see them take a leadership position on and and run those things through. It's The questions you ask are the same questions I have working for technology companies on why are they allowing this type of rhetoric and nonsense. I literally witnessed, and we all did if you watched it, um, members of Congress um, presented, I'm sorry, uh, members of law enforcement presented to Congress absolutely outright lies or lies of omission or just ignorant facts about facial recognition and it's and it's racial disparities um bill you make great points about um you know uh data and license plates and faces and everyone says it's racist it's absolutely not true if anything it takes the race out of it when you get a license plate hit on an lpr uh, you pull over that person, you have no idea who's driving. You have no idea who the owner is. On for our
1: audience, it's not law enforcement. LPR. Well, for our audience, that's not law enforcement and me. What does LPR mean?
2: Uh, license, license plate, plate readers. Reader. So you could have ALPR or NPR. Automated number plate recognition is mostly in Europe and the UK, and where they're really big on that. Um, in the US, we call it LPR, license plate readers. Um, there's newer systems, newer capabilities on analytics that are vehicle recognition systems. So now the uh, video analytics can read not only the license plate, but the entire car, what kind of make, model, color, uh, and then deliver that. So Bill and Mark, as, as former detectives, you would you would appreciate this. They're using some of it
1: because they're catching all these people um, from the riots and I've seen pictures of them, you know, some of its basic matching tattoos and stuff like that. Yeah. But they are catching if you, if you pay attention, they're, they're pulling in people um, on a daily basis, the FBI, and charging with, with federal crimes over the riot. So a lot of these people that, you know, thought that they got away with it that night, they, they didn't. They're coming after them. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, something. thank God the feds are prosecuting because New York City, uh, the DA isn't prosecuting. And you know, when you right. jump into a you loot a building, that's called burglary. It's a felony, you know what I mean? Yep. It's not a minor crime, the way Vance is saying. They should send that guy back to the West. You know, where did he come yeah. from?
2: Yeah. I mean, Terry Monahan was saying the other day on one of the interviews, um, how these guys are going in, getting arrested for guns. The courts are closed, they're not even indicting them, they're releasing them, they're back on the street, burglaries, robberies. It's crazy.
0: It's outrageous. And everything, Absolutely. I don't know if you caught, uh, they have Letitia James just did a report on the NYPD. She's the attorney general um, for the state. And she came up with a 57 page preliminary report. What does she know about running a police department? Is she a PhD in policing? Is she a doctor?
2: <laughs> no, this is politically motivated. It's outrageous. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I I know her from back in the day when I was in the 7-7 and 7-9. You know, she worked in Crown Heights, Prospect Heights, and and Bed-Stuy. I know her very well. I mean, my commanding officer uh, in the precinct when I was the squad commander in the 7-9 and I was a sergeant in the 7-7 squad, she was out there every day. And, you know, we struggled. Um, I thought she was fair at the time. I'm trying to be nice, but, you know, we kind of had a dialogue, but there's nothing you know, about I'm not there's, surprised. No requirement, there's no requirement to be nice on this show. <laughs> I'm, I'm being nice. I'm being nice. <laughs> I, I'm going to give it a benefit of doubt to say she tried to work with us, but I am not surprised at the dialogue coming out of her office now. So, well, Cuomo is anti-police too. You and you know the crazy thing is, is right. Biden was pro police in the '90s, and look where the position he took the other day. You know, right. he said police is the enemy. Police is the enemy. He said that three days ago.
0: Yeah. Or yesterday. Well, yesterday. he's, yesterday, he's, two days he's ago. got he's got dementia anyway. So he'll he'll make it about if he gets elected, he'll make it about six months. You no, know, you know what's so.
1: interesting though, it's uh, like uh, the police department's are only the hand of the government, the local government. So whatever the administration dictates. So for example, when I came on the job, Dinkins was the mayor, he was hands off marijuana. Um, You had people blowing pot smoke in your face when you were in uniform, you couldn't do nothing. And then all of a sudden Giuliani came in and they were broken windows theory, locking people up for pot. And now we seem like we abandoned all the stuff that worked and we went back to the old days. And um, if you look at it, it just depends on the administration. So for for some reason right now, all these uh, these failed uh, cities with high crime already and high homeless, they want to be able to pass the buck and blame somebody. So they want they blame the police, but the police are only act. They're only they're your hands. So whatever you're doing out there as a mayor, whatever's happening, those, those you're manipulating it. You have complete control
2: over it. So people dying, it's it's on you. Yeah. Absolutely, so Judge Napolitano spoke on Fox News the other day and he said that he felt, which I disagree with because you can't do it, but he felt that the cops took an oath to uphold the constitution. They should have acted despite the fact that the mayor held them back. And I don't think you should do that because that's a whole nother thing. But the bottom line is, is and we, the three of us took this oath and we, we promised to protect the people and uphold the constitution. And it really, really troubles me on the communities that the suffering that they're going to see uh, if this doesn't get fixed fast. And Mark, to your point, yeah, we're dictated by what the mayor says to do and not to engage, not engage. Um, They better ask the police to professionally and the way they're trained to engage to eradicate criminals and to lock up bad people. And if they don't do that, I mean, there's a lot of Really, really good people. Listen, I spent the most formative years of my career were in the seven Nine detective squad from 1999 to 2004, the best squad in the New York City. Sorry, Bill, you may disagree, but no, we can two, argue three, the about two, three squad that. The 2'3 squad will bitch-slap the 7'9. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll argue that. But my guys, Kevin well, today, sure to- George Farback, Mike Prate, Chris Kendall. I'm going to give a plug to all of those guys, Seamus McHugh, Maddie Collins, these guys, were, Tommy Caffrey, these guys were the best. And I, the, the, the miracles that I saw them pull off um, were nothing short of outrageous in, in terms of you didn't think cases would get solved and they did. And they need to get back to that and let them do their job. And if they don't, uh, a lot of really good people. So, so if you got 45, 50,000 people in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, you know, ninety-five percent African American. I believe my true heart is that really good people want to live peaceably and they want to go about their business. They want to, and a small population is terrorizing that neighborhood. And if it's not for the police, who's right. gonna who's gonna eradicate me, those let terrorists?
1: Let, let me ask you a question, Tom. How many more weekends in a row? Like the one that we just had past weekend, the weekend before, like we had three weeks of heavy shootings and um and a bunch of homicides and now another weekend's approaching how many more weekends do we have to go before they finally just go and say you know what all right go do your job
2: i wish i knew it three I, I, it more weeks already happened
1: you, did, you okay let's just go shootings is it 200 more shootings spread out
2: over three weeks The numbers are crazy, right? You've looked at them. I'm looking at them. The the last constat report that came out was June 28th, the one that's online that I have access to. The numbers are astronomical. Well, Mark, to answer your question, I don't know how much more they can take. They should have already stopped it.
1: The the mayor said it's unacceptable. And we have to talk to the community leaders and we have to get the community leaders and we have to do stuff in the community. But at some point, when the community, <laughs> the community's not stopping the shootings, they're gonna have to ask the cops to do it. What I wanna, I'm just thinking, what? How many more weekends? I'd say, if we three more weekends and everybody, uh, the cops are gonna be, go do your job.
0: Listen, the right cops, way. they just, they just came out with that thing from the city council called the diaphragm law. Yep, the diaphragm law is terrible. That is outrageous, I mean, no cop will wanna roll around with somebody because they're gonna get them for a misdemeanor i mean if you're any wrestler knows you got to use your body on top of another body to
2: neutralize them they're not allowed to do that now yep yeah and and so imagine your knee or your body just laying on top of their back on top of them when they're on the ground in the diaphragm and you're you're you're, you're gonna answer you know what you gonna have
1: I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna have you're gonna have a guy who's gonna uh, go uh, he's gonna he's gonna want to make an arrest so he's gonna be observation arrest he's gonna call in the arrest team and the arrest team is gonna be a van of six to eight cops and they're just gonna circle this person and they're gonna wait him out
0: yeah yeah like the old EDP video remember that one Where they danced gonna wait him the out EDP? <laughs> It'll be like that. <laughs> they're gonna yeah. give a bunch of orders.
1: They're gonna have shields, and they're gonna tell them to drop and stay down, and they're not gonna touch them until the person realizes they're not. C- but then again, you're also wasting an hour and creating a whole riot scene in that area. So that my forget my idea. That's a disaster.
2: <laughs> so the interesting thing about the diaphragm law that Bill's talking about is when Terry Monahan was talking about it on one of his interviews, he said that one of the DA's said that they think it's unconstitutional, but you can't prove it's unconstitutional until some cop does it and somebody gets hurt or dies, and then they go through the court process and it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. I mean, think of the outrageousness of that. I mean, what, we really no. have to sacrifice somebody? Joe That's Murray, black.
0: Joe Murray, a retired cop and attorney just brought up the point. He said, what about if you tackle somebody? you're going to wind up on top of them. Is that a misdemeanor now? I mean, the ill thought of, of just them writing this up just shows what morons they are.
2: Yeah. I mean, Joe Borelli in Staten Island said it the best for me. He said, like, I'm in the room. I'm, I'm negotiating this on the council. And they're telling me, no, like, we know people are going to die, but we're still going to sign it anyway. We, I mean, think of the outrageousness of that. What did you say? Say that again? No, he said they knew that these reforms and these, these changes and all of these laws are going to cost people's lives and they know it. They're not saying it, but they know it. And you know, you're in the room and you're sitting there and they're going, yeah, we're going to sign it anyway. Like, think about this. It's outrageous. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I I just like, I just want to, I'm just curious to see how far it goes because uh, you know what, New York city, uh, we remember on the Dinkins, and then um, all of a sudden, it was that case with the uh, in the stairwell where the boy went to protect his mother, and he got stabbed in the subway. They came to the U.S. Brian
0: Brian Watkins. So right Watkins.
1: Yeah. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was it. After that, something's got to be done, and everything changed. They just told the cops to go out. So, I, you know, I'm curious to see how far away we are because... Um, <laughs>
2: It's, it's, well, it's, so so I'm going to say something, guys. I need you to hear me out on this. I, you, when I was in the seven nine, um, working with the tremendous detectives, um, we had thirty five detectives on the R.I.P. and the and the squad. Um, I, like I said, ninety five percent African American. We used to we used to push cases all the time through the DA's office, and they never ever listened to us we pushed cases to the media we said we need some help and they said it doesn't have any wood you guys you guys know what the wood means right remember back in the old days with the um newsstands and he's put the wood on top of the paper so it didn't blow yeah. away yeah. if it's not front page news it's not wood you yeah. know not not wood like you're thinking mark but um um uh, you know and and i always felt that like here's these detectives white black hispanic detectives Mostly, um, pushing for a victim, black, mostly, maybe Hispanic, maybe white. And the DA's office wasn't listening. The media wasn't listening. And, you know, we're just trying to get a job done and we're trying to save these people and save this case and and hold the person accountable. And nothing ever, ever, ever got done. And, you know, and so you fast forward to all these years, um, nothing's ever getting done. And until it's a sexy address with a sexy victim, no one's gonna pay attention. And Bill, coming from Manhattan, you would know that. Us Brooklyn guys, we suffered, you know?
0: When there was a case in the 19th precinct, whether you wanted it or not, you had about 50 detectives there and every media outlet and their brother were there. And the sent his his entourage there, you know, and and you're you're 100% right. If it's newsworthy, you're going to get more help than you need. But
2: do or die Bed-Stuy, they don't give a shit what happens. Nope. Nobody, No chief ever even showed up there. I had Bill Ali, Chief Ali, showed up in August of 2001 for two cases that we had successively in two days. And then I never saw him before and I never saw him after. And I like Bill Ali a lot. Of, I'm not criticizing any Chief of D or any other chief. But nobody came to the 7-9. No matter what was going on, that place was blowing up. Nobody
0: came. No one cared. No one cared. Nobody cared. You know something? The communities of color are going to be the communities that suffer the most from the New York City Council, this incompetent mayor, and also Cuomo. Let's throw Cuomo in there too, because he's anti-police now too. It's just—it's an ideology that they've all taken on. Let's blame the police for everything.
2: Yeah. Well, I I will tell you the people I've worked with in my 20 plus years, um, most and the most memorable stuff uh, was the detective squad. Um, Committed regardless of race, color, anything. They did the job the way they needed to do it and did it right and they never looked at color and they tried really hard. They spent their own time working. Overtime, oh, you're capped, no more cash. All right, time. You know what? I can't even pay, like time. It's abusive. The guys stayed and they did the job. The guys and gals oh, just stayed. And did Let the me job. ask you what, what you're saying is that that man that was walking
1: down the street with his uh, with his child and uh, he got he got shot. Did you see that execution? Yep, yeah, I did. I saw. And um, I mean, how many other shootings are we are we seeing the videos from the right now? What you're saying is that we he said the funny thing is we're seeing the videos. See, in the past when you, uh, when all the stuff that you're talking about, we didn't have the internet like that. So th- that brings uh, the, the accumulation, whether you wanna f- address it in the media or not, that, that stuff has a way of making the internet. So these things are compiling. So we're gonna see, are they gonna react differently right now? Because the mayor is basically like almost running out of nonsense to say He's, he's, at the, he's at the bottom of the barrel right now with excuses. At some point, he's going to have to say, Well, we're going to have to get the police to do their job. You know? Oh,
0: well, look. So if they, they can't get. Go ahead, Bill. It's the perfect storm. Bail reform, COVID, they, entered, they emptied Rikers, right? The DA's office is not prosecuting, right? The riots and putting the restraints on the police. There's five things. Five reasons right there. And and an incompetent mayor, I must also suggest. But they definitely handcuffed the police. And there's five reasons right there it's going out of control right now. And he blamed it on one thing, COVID, you know?
2: Yeah. So what what I remember from working in the squad was how many things we fixed. Um, And I think you guys will appreciate that. Um, They're in a position now where if patrol is not handling... The situations they need to on patrol. Um, if they're not engaging the way they need to, um, a lot of perpetrators and offenders are going to get away. They're going to be outstanding perpetrators. It's going to roll up to the squad. If the squad doesn't have the authority and the mission to go out and lock up everybody, I mean, look, you know, before Comstat, so pre 1992. You know, you had five guys walk into a bodega on a murder. The first shooter would get arrested. Nobody looked for perp number two, three, yeah, and four. That's true. You're right. Right? You remember that, Bill, right, Mark? Yeah. So so today, if that's going to happen, if if what's happening now, the squad's going to be more important than ever because they're the last line for apprehending these really violent perpetrators.
1: And, Tom, what you're talking about right now is that article that you wrote that's called... Um, hold the line Yep. and in that article that you wrote um you mentioned that um there's four steps you want to talk about that a little bit
2: yeah so what i re- so i'm an original transit um cop so my 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 seven nine colleagues who are probably all listening right now know that we the us transit cops had the bunker mentality and we thought we were Um, ostracized and and discriminated against as transit cops. But that's because transit outperformed the NYPD for a while because of Jack Maple, as you guys can imagine. Jack Maple was an original transit cop. And this is a great story. Anyone who's ever read it? um, He was sitting in a lanes, you know, and Bill, I'm sure you've had a cocktail or two in the lanes. He wrote on a napkin, the, the little recipe for Comstead. That's right. So accurate. Number one is accurate and timely intelligence. Number two is rapid deployment. Number three, uh, um, effective tactics and number four, relentless follow-up. And it's really simple. And believe it or not, I live my whole life like that. I live, you know, my finances, my, my garden, my yard, you know, is my, is my lawn turning Brown. I get on it right away. Effective tactics with good chemicals. It's the same theory in everything you do. It makes complete sense. So he learned that in Elaine's when Elaine was working on, on appetizers and entrees and desserts, and he converted it into a police strategy, it makes complete sense. So if, if, if they're not responding to crimes immediately, if they're not rapidly deploying, if they're not using effective tactics to apprehend them uh, at the street level, the relentless follow-up is going to have to take place. And detectives are going to have to go out, get these people, and then the, the detectives are going to have to hold the line. They're going to have to hold that corner. And then not let those corners and those streets, you but, know, but go t- back.
0: The squad can't fix everything that patrols No, I know.
2: Did. They
0: cannot. There's not enough of them. And you're right, you'll get the baddest of the bad. You'll do the investigations. But look, one of the greatest programs in the NYPD ever was Rip. Someone figured out, this was before comps, that most of the robbers in the community live there so let's just collect their pictures and get mug books and bring the people in and, and it worked like a charm you remember that i think i think rips started in 1985. yeah and every precinct had rip after that and i can't imagine what it was like before there were rips
2: yeah i mean the rips were great i love the rips and i also felt that they did everything except for I thought the R.I.P. was a better feeding ground for the detectives than the actual detective squad because the detective squad was catching DVs and aggravated harassment and then a murder. And the R.I.P. guys, everything they did, they were doing photo IDs, they were doing lineups, they were doing interviews, they were doing. So I actually thought the R.I.P.s were great feeders into a homicide detective. Which
0: just is kind like
2: of interesting, like, Just like anti-crime is a feeder into the squad. Exactly, the anti-crime so, yeah, fed into the river.
0: That's why um,
1: warrants was a great feeder into the squad too, because, like you mentioned <coughs> earlier, uh, knowing how to use the computer. And when you're in the warrant squad, you know you got to basically, uh, you know, narrow. You use all your past arrest reports and stuff like that, any anything that's on the computer, to figure out where this person might be, because you know you only got one chance. That's right? you know, really. It's like a deer. I used to call it deer, like deer hunter, one shot, one kill. That's all you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but when, he, when, when he, we, you know, the transgression reluctantly was a lot of people had to go to the squad after that. But once you got to the squad, you know, and you had, you know, you were better at catching people, you know?
2: Oh yeah. I love the computer, man. I love the computer. Um, And that was actually how I, I got my job when I left and I retired and I'll, I'll be vulnerable to the entire audience. I left the job not under my circumstances. I was going through a divorce and I needed to get a job, uh, quite frankly. So with 21 years on the job, someone offered me and I went. And so you guys are familiar with Accurate or Clear and the public records tools. So I went to go work for them and I'm just a computer data guy. I love it because I believe there's, there's arrests to be made inside those computers, absolutely. If you're smart with those computers, you will be much more effective. Well,
0: I remember when they first, the department first came up with Phone Finder. Remember that database? Yep. Yep. It was like we caught a, a parolee in his apartment still on the phone with us. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, how brilliant was that? Just get all the department databases. We'll have every phone the guy's ever used and the address to it. He uses the phone of his
2: girlfriend. We, we're knocking on the door, and he's still on the phone with us. I love that. Yep. beautiful. So, Bill, remember Remember when uh, on the online booking sheets when they used to record two phone numbers and then they used to allow the third one and they used to write it on the side? Who actually leveraged all that data? That these were the phone numbers of the people that they called?
0: You know, I don't think patrol understood <laughs> why that was done. And the other problem was is that the desk officer tried to kick your ass out of the precinct in two hours. Remember that? Yep. So uh, a, a cop making an arrest was like, I don't give a shit about the investigation of this
2: in the future. He's trying, he's kicking me out of here. I got four
0: perps. He's kicking me out of here in two hours.
2: Yeah, but you know how many perpetrators got away because they didn't put the apartment number in the apartment box? Uh, you're 100% we right. Still, yeah.
1: <laughs> we had a way to get those apartment numbers. I won't say it. I don't know if they still do it, but.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, so. But yeah, when I was in the warrant squad, there was a way to get those apartment numbers. But yeah. I also know what you're talking about, about the phone numbers, because when you're uh, interviewing somebody, And then you give them their phone calls. You know, I always used to be like, Yeah, call whoever you want. Just let me know and I'll dial it for you. And I, Yeah, you want to call somebody else? Hey, this is city money. Go ahead. Go crazy. Because I knew I was getting all these phone numbers I, you know, had access to in the future to to
0: find them. I would always talk to the perp's mother because it pissed the perp off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking to your mother. I'm telling her what you did. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i didn't yeah. mind if they said you know like most of the time the, the conversations i made them short and sweet but you know i tell them you got two minutes but i want you can call as many people as you want I, you know that's what i knew in my head you want to call somebody else let me know
2: yeah yeah no and i think i think addressing the rookies and letting them know you know how many months how many years down the line that that arrest that they make their first arrest, right? Some brand new rookie coming out of this system, you know, he comes out of the academy, goes on patrol he makes his first arrest. The documentation that he does or she does on that arrest, 10 years later will make the difference in catching somebody or not. Yeah, absolutely. And no one's telling them that, or maybe they are now, but they weren't when I was
0: there. Tom, they also have these little computers in their hands right now. And that could save a lot of lives, you know? Like on the way to a job, you're finding out this is a bad guy. He just got out of prison. He did a murder. You know, he did two rob. You know, you know what you're dealing with, you know?
2: Yep. So and I'll tell you a funny story. So working for a company called Vigilant Solutions where we did LPR, and then New York City Police Department has LSAG, and they have FIX, and they have mobile cameras and all this stuff, but there's not an information-sharing environment. And so a, a really good friend of mine... Uh, went to the Arson and Explosion squad and I know you had uh, Bill Ryan I think it was Bill Ryan right the other day Yeah, he's he's actually great he's listening great interview Um, so my buddy in Arson Explosion goes hey we're looking for this car that they blew up a gas station in Staten Island do you guys have any data on this guy oh yeah he was up in in, um, uh, Rochester New York an hour ago and they're like, how do we not know that? I go because you're not connected. You're not sharing information. He goes, we've been running around Staten Island for three days. He goes, you've got three days worth of this guy running around in in Rochester and Buffalo and all these northern New York states. And I'm like, yeah. And so you, you got what that. From the that you had plate, him? What? You got What's that, that?
0: From license plate reader? That information? Yeah,
2: license plate Rita. So there's there's a bunch of disparate systems the vigilance got them Pitts got them there's a whole bunch of different systems and uh if they're not all sharing in the same environment there's a lot of misdata. hey let me ask you a question what are those things that ever in the city on top of the um
1: the traffic lights every like because first of all i thought it was because of um the congestion pricing was coming in and they were going to um but if you start congestion pricing at 61st street let's say you got to go through that barrier. I don't see why every street has to have these, it, it looks like a, there's a little box on top, <laughs> a little white box so it's got wires on it. So what, yeah. I don't know, because to me, I'm like, if it's for congestion pricing, you just need it when it's coming, when the traffic is coming in, breaking that. But if you're in the middle of Manhattan, you've already passed that barrier. Why does every single street still have that little box? What is that?
2: I know the answer to that. It's Midtown in motion. Every single street corner in Midtown has an RFID reader that's reading your easy pass. And they know they're, they're not only evaluating your traffic for congestion pricing, but they're also monitoring how fast traffic is moving, traffic flow, and all sorts of things. So the data collection field is tremendous. Tremendous. Well, which
1: brings us back to this point when they were talking about dropping the bricks off at all these corners before the riots, and they had pictures of all these pallets of bricks, all yep. I thought to myself was, you could figure out who dropped the, that those pallets of bricks off um, in about five minutes. Yep. All you gotta do is look at the cameras. And yep. so that brought me to the question of, is this a real thing or is this is bullshit?
2: Yeah, so it depends on the, on the cameras. I know within the city limits um, is a higher, Likelihood of uh, identifying the suspects, you know, once you start going out to Long Island and the suburbs, northern northern suburbs, Jersey. I don't know what they've got. Um, yeah, but
1: the pallets, uh, the pallets, the pallets were dropped off in major cities where they were gonna do, you know, the riots and stuff like that. These were talking about the, the middle of uh, midtown. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in front of a courthouse or something. There was a pallet.
2: Yeah,
1: so, I know. I'm so- just wondering if it was bullshit. These pallets. Was it photoshopped or? Why, why haven't we heard of people being arrested for dropping off pallets there? It's the easiest I can't thing speak to find that. out.
2: I can't speak to that, Mark. But what I can speak to is if they had somebody who was really smart and knew how to access the system and gave them unfettered access to the system, they could put it together.
1: Yeah. I, I'm sure they, like, they, <laughs> they have the cameras there. I just don't know if this stuff really happened. I don't know if the pallets were real. Because where where is the people getting apprehended for doing this? I don't understand.
2: Well, I think we're all in question on um, what process is being put in place to get the um, organizers. Um, This is a corrupt organization. This is a RICO, in my opinion. I've read all the people, all the articles that advocate for a RICO case. I think it fits the criteria. you know, ongoing... Are you talking about interviews. Antifa? What's that? Are you talking about Antifa? Yeah, I think it's a it's a RICO. It's a corrupt organization. Absolutely.
1: I think the but only reason why they haven't pushed it anymore is because they're waiting for BLM to fall into the same category so they can lump them all in together. Because I, yeah. I, I think BLM needs a couple of homicides, uh, be able to uh, attach, uh, attach a couple of homicides in there, then they're going to hit them with the uh, federal stuff, and then it's all over.
0: You know something? I, I think if they, if they follow the money, they're going to find it going to some very powerful people on the left.
1: Well, and there was a police officer who sued a couple of years ago, uh, one of the BLM leaders. He No, he sued BLM because he got hurt on a bridge um, where they weren't supposed to take it over. And they said that he couldn't sue because uh, BLM was a, a loosely fit group. It wasn't a group yet. Well, guess what? They got forty million dollars so far, as far as I know, donations. So that money has got to go to a pot somewhere that's uh, labeled BLM. BLM. And guess what? Now you just became uh, something that could be lawfully sued, because now you're you're definitely a group. You have you have to have a le- you, somebody's got to have the money. Somebody's got to spend it. You're unified. So. Um, I think that's what they're waiting for, basically, is they're, waiting for, they're giving them enough rope to hang themselves and they're gonna wipe them all out. The same way they did the uh, Black Liberation Army in the 60s. Um, these, you know, these groups, they reach a certain point, um, they scare everybody and then they come in and they just wipe them out. They take the hope, all of them out, they put them in jail for the rest of their lives and that's what happens.
2: Yeah, I I, I don't know as much about the BLM component as the Antifa and the corrupt organization on that. BLM, I I think is probably the most fascinating and most uh, successful marketing plan I've ever seen because they took a concept of Black Lives Matter and they made it a noun and a verb. So it's the name of an organization, which makes it a noun, but the verb Black Lives Matter. We all agree Black Lives Matter Right. I mean, I spent my I committed my entire police life to protecting mostly African-American communities. I was more than happy to to work in that environment and to put my life on the line. And 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 the people that I worked with did the same thing for African-American people. Black Lives Matter. But but they have been able to spin this that if you say Black Lives Matter, the organization is bad because they want to break up the nuclear family or they want to do all these other crazy things that they're saying, they think Tom Joyce, the white guy who grew up in Brooklyn in a very diverse neighborhood, doesn't care about black lives. That's absolutely not true. I don't like the organization. I think their tenants are off base, but I'm not saying black lives the reality don't matter but it gets mixed up and, and discombobulated and you can't make sense of it and the next thing you know is like tom you you don't, you don't think black lives matter and i was like i didn't say that i said the group well yeah, the group that, or the tom, organization and it's tom, crazy
0: tom you know something this is bigger than that because we were talking in, in uh, november we interviewed chief Louis animal and that was right around the time where a cop was doused with water remember that this yeah. is a, this is a national movement. To hate yeah. the police, to disrespect—it's national. It's not just in New York City, and its mm-hmm. agenda is pushed by, by uh, some radical leftists. And it's all over the country.
1: I don't know if uh, you guys saw pictures of what downtown Center Street looks like. Um, they've they they wrote Black uh, BLM all over all the buildings down there. Um, There's graffiti all over. You know the the Supreme Court. All the, all the all the courthouses. So now if you come in there when, let's just say this is all said and done and we're ready to move on or we're trying to move on, whatever, and you want to just whitewash the buildings again and get it you know, back to normal, are these buildings going to stay like that forever because you can't take it off because then you're going to be like, oh, no, no, I didn't mean black lives don't matter. I just meant we want to get the building nice again so we can look like a, a, a freaking decent yeah. city again. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. what are you to, How long is it gonna stay like that? No. I mean, it's well, not. It's not art. They didn't do it nice. You know, they didn't, probably didn't have much time. they <laughs> probably like, shh, shh. so it's not the best. If you're gonna tag BLM, you could probably do better if you had time. That's my
0: point. You know, I think the scariest part of this is the government's unwillingness to protect its citizens, and that to me is very scary. It started with Obama where they had those Antifa riots in the West and they just let them tear the shit out of neighborhoods, burn it down, and they did absolutely nothing. One uh, mayor actually said, oh, for those that wish to destroy, we have, we have an area for that too. <laughs> That's exactly what she said.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> it's crazy. I, so I, I did not police under Obama. I retired in 2006 so um but we did the world economic forum in in manhattan so they took a bunch of cops from the hood and in brooklyn and sent them out into midtown manhattan and man we had a good time and they really tried to create havoc and that was you know 2004 i think it was and um no 2002 maybe early 2000s definitely after 2001 and uh it was crazy and you know what we held our ground and nobody nobody got out of control I mean they tried but it was nipped in the bud right away and the the hands-off experience so so go back right you guys had Louis Mon on which was great it was probably one of my favorite because I, I'm I'm a big Louis Anamone fan um you know the 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 riots in Brooklyn that they allowed to happen uh, over Cato, right? And then and then the Crown Heights riots, and then that was never again. And all those other riots that started to spur up were like immediately shut down because we took action. And to see what they're doing now, not only here in New York City, but all across the country.
0: Well, you know, Tom, what that was, Louis Anamon was the architect of disorder control. I know. He studied, he studied yeah. how, countries all over the world respond to riots and he was the guy to go they put him in charge of crown heights he was an inspector he was telling chiefs what to do and he was the architect he could quash a riot you remember because california had the rodney king thing and some really horrendous things happened during those riots it's like we've learned nothing because they, they're they
1: handcuffing the police. Well, you were talking earlier, we started, it's just, uh, so funny that we come back to this point, but Tom, you were talking earlier about uh, the Constitution and how you take an oath when you get on the job and it's up to the bosses of the job, the big bosses, if they see that uh, the, the message that's being sent from up above is not helping keep the people safe, then... Um, you know, are you going to make a choice to, to do your job? You know?
2: Yeah. I mean, you might so be Marcus, tired, but. yeah. So my son is a one year, one and a half year rookie in Washington DC right now. And six months ago, he told me, I asked him, how you doing? How do you like the job? He goes, the best job in the world. I love being a cop down here. Um, this Washington DC is a great city. I love it. And then, here we are six months later between COVID, which was kind of bizarre. He's like, I can't make sense of it. And then now this, all this rise up. He's like, dad, like, is this really what I should be doing? I'm young enough to pivot. Should I pivot? I wanna do this, there's nothing more I wanna do it. And you took you took an oath, you, you uphold the constitution. Are you gonna be held back by your, by your leadership? Or are you gonna be allowed to take action when you see a crime? And then when you do, what's the cut? I don't even know the answers anymore. You know, I can only guide him as a father uh, as much I as think, a...
0: I don't think the upper echelon of the NYPD does either. I mean, if if you saw the memo that came down from Shea in regards to this diaphragm thing, he was baffled. He didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to tell the cops. You know, I, know. I, don't, I t- don't know what to tell you. If the leadership is saying that to you, what do you do as a cop? Yeah, hey, Tom, no, you're
2: 100
1: right, though. Tom. Tell you son to call me. I'll tell him. What <laughs> he's he's really funny, Mark. So where maybe... Is, where is he right now? Get out while the getting's good. He's <laughs> still young. You got one year on the job. Fuck him. <laughs> Go yeah. live in your bubble. Yeah, exactly. You know, the tough part yeah. is when you're when, like for these poor guys that have like 10, 12 years in, 14 yeah. years in. Yeah, they're you know stuck. Okay, you got over 20 years. The line to retire right now, I heard, is so big that um, even though you put in your papers, you got to wait. Like, uh, your, your date is not until, like, September right now. If you put, just to go in and talk to the people in the pension section. You know what I would tell them on that? What?
2: I'm not showing up for work anymore. Call me when you're ready. I'll be at home. Right. They can't make you go. So, I'm retiring. I got 20 years.
1: See you. They might right? do something like that where they put you right on terminal right away. But what, what happens right now, they, they have the option of not taking their terminal and taking it in cash. I don't know what the whole thing is, but I just know that it's backed up. Well, you know, but that's people who are eligible for retirement. But if you're one of these people that are like right there in the middle, like, and you got to wait it out. My, the only thing I can tell you is this. These things go in waves. Um, when I came on the job in 1992, people always like, uh, oh, would you have come on the job now? Like I'm talking about right now. Right. I'm like, well, I came on in 92 at the kind of sort of like the peak of the crack epidemic. Crime is crazy. So I guess I would have probably come on the job right now. You know, it's I hate to say it, but sometimes if that's, you know, the best job that you could possibly get at the time, um, you're probably going to take it. But if you have uh, anything else that you can possibly do, and it's, it could still be in law enforcement. I just saw a thing about a DHS. uh Department of Homeland Security is looking to pull people from the NYPD if they want to leave. Come work for us. It's a federal agency. And they have a lot of different... um, You know, the the head of the DHS, he actually posted a tweet saying, if you're not happy with the NYPD, come and work with us. We need people. So, you know what I'm saying? That's always been the NYPD's problem. is They spend, uh, I don't know, upwards of $80,000 training every single candidate uh, a recruit and then all of a sudden you know if they're lucky enough they get to Nassau or Suffolk County or they get a gig upstate somewhere you know two to four years later but for the majority of us we stay and if you're between 12 and 14 years right now just wait it out man it's going to get better it ha- <laughs> I hope so <laughs>
2: That's- I think optimistically I'd like to think exactly the same Mark and, and and I and I know so many kids that my son grew up with on Long Island that um, are on the job now and are all in these different places, and we tell them the same thing. Uh, but you know, at the same time, to go out there, I will tell you, doing police work with the proper amount of support and the proper amount of leadership, the appropriate leadership, where they protect you and encourage you to do the job and do the right thing. It's it's the best job in the world. I would never change anything that I did. And I hope it gets better for these kids. It is the most rewarding and is absolutely the most fulfilling thing you could ever do in your life.
0: Look, Tom, I did almost 27 years, and it sort of hurts me to see that the whole philosophy of broken windows policing is being thrown out because it worked. It saved oh, that it saved thousands of lives. It saved thousands of people from becoming crime victims, you know, and mostly in the precincts of color. It saved. 10,000, 15,000 homicides never occurred because of broken windows policing. But the same people now that are acting as if they care about those communities could give a shit because the murders and the shootings are gonna skyrocket because they let go of broken windows policing.
2: Yeah, and I think Bill, so I really wanna get raw with this right now. Um, How many cases, I'm gonna ask you guys, how many cases did you work on where the church lady was getting off the bus and she took a bullet. How many cases of the mother sitting on the bed and a bullet comes ripping through the window while she's got her kid on her knee? I mean, I've worked on more than I can count on and I'm not even anywhere close to your level of experience and some of my other colleagues and friends. Um, you know, These guys have stories that go on and on and on of these terrible, terrible stories. Does, Bill, I don't even know what to say. We're preaching to the girl here.
1: She was doing a TikTok video with her mother in the living room and got shot. The bullet came in through the window. And in the middle of them practicing their dance to put on TikTok, she was... Uh, can you imagine that poor mother? Now, if you want to tell me what, all this shit that we're going through right now is worth it, just to... Who are we, who are we accommodating right now by letting the the... The people who have committed crimes um, out of prison early. Who are we accommodating when we, uh, we don't want to prosecute people who are committing crimes? Who, who are we accommodating right now? The people, these people that, that, that are in these neighborhoods that are, um, you know, uh, the low income neighborhoods, they don't
0: want these people back. They don't want them back. They're happy that they're freaking gone. Mark, you're 100% right. When they talk about bail reform, they talk about how it destroys neighborhoods because the person uh, can't go to their job. Most of the people that getting locked up all the time don't have a job. They really don't. How many people you locked up have the benefit card, they
2: haven't had a job in their life. You know? So Bill, let me ask you a question. You're in the squad, right? Hey, big guy you you put your hands on your wife no good you can't do that you can't beat your wife this is domestic violence situation yeah i i i gotta arrest you right oh i can't take a collar i gotta do you know what come in a friday at six o'clock how many dv collars did we make in the detective squad an appointment late on a friday (laughs) you know what i mean we worked with the community let's call let's cut all the bullshit out you know, yeah. the guys who were hardworking family members who might have screwed up, we worked with them, Right. you yeah. know? You know, do you it's remember? I, I literally watched a guy, a detective in the squad with his feet up on the desk. The guy walked in. He goes, hey, I'm, I'm such and such. The detective says, yeah, come on in. Go in the cell. Take off your shoes, your shoelaces, and your belt. I'll be right with you. You know That's what so, I mean? Come on, self-service Bill. Self-service arrest. <laughs> they come all on, the guy the room. The guy didn't even get up from the desk, you know? But, but we worked with the people who were legitimate people who got into a bad way. Yes. But the thugs oh. and the criminals, they got to go.
0: Well, that's the whole thing when they talk about the community. Maki Mark, Haberfeld, the great John Jay professor of criminal justice, yep. said when we interviewed her, the community shouldn't be telling the police how to do their job. Oh, but that's, that's the thing that's right
1: now. They actually, um, they want, uh, Shay said it, Shay said it. He goes, well, we're going to have to sit down and talk to the community. Well, I, listen, forget about Shay said it. Somebody said it. I don't want to say Shay said it. Somebody, a, a chief in the department said, we have to sit, sit down with the community and, and, and have them tell us how they want to be policed. And that's exactly
0: counter to what Maki said. Yeah. What do they know about policing? Nothing. Nothing. And you know, the community also includes the criminals. The well, criminals also, too, the what they want to create is a situation where, um,
1: I, you know, EDPs are going to be uh, handled by social workers and clinicians as well as <laughs> homeless. Okay. My theory is that the original sector is going to have to respond and deem it a nonviolent situation. And then they couldn't call in the EDP car and they're going to hand off the job to them. That's, that's my prediction of that's how we're going to get rid of having to handle those cases, the, the nonviolent ones. Because all the cops are always saying, oh, what are you going to do with this guy? You know, the naked guy on the, in the street with the machete. Well, <laughs> a sector is going to respond. They're going to deem it nonviolent. They're going to call the social worker in, hand off the paperwork.
0: The social worker is going to take it from that. I love the title of the violence interrupter. Who is that? Where'd they get <laughs> that guy from? The violence interrupter. Some live
1: that Listen, before you listen, but when it comes to violent situations, the idea that they're proposing is to have a community meeting before the police actually go and deal with it. So for example, you have a shooting or a stabbing or a rape or a homicide, you're gonna meet at the scene with one of the community leaders. Whoever's up, whoever's like uh has Who's the night. It's, it's Al Sharpton's catch, he's catching and then and then the two people are gonna meet, the chief and the community leader, and they're gonna figure out how they wanna handle this violent crime. But this is like so nobody's gonna respond to the violent crime. You're gonna come in after the fact and figure out how we're gonna catch this bad guy.
2: That's the future. <laughs> I can't even imagine chiefs on the scene of shootings, never mind community members. Like we just Oh, that's what's just... going to happen. That's what's going to happen. It's crazy.
1: You know, crazy. And when does the crime happen? At 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's, yeah. the chiefs are going to be doing midnights.
0: Yeah, wake up the chief. Wake up the chief on Long Island.
1: They're just going to be what's doing wrong? midnights. They're just going to be doing midnights. Why, why go home?
0: And then, you know how, like, catching DAs? Who's the catching violence interrupter tonight?
1: I mean, because think about this. If you had a shooting in your neighborhood, okay, and it was one of these horrible incidents with a child, now you have a community leader there. What is he going to say? Don't arrest him or let's talk to him first. No, he's going to say, catch that fucker. You know? I don't think there's going to be any police, uh, like, let's say, um, you know, uh, what is it? uh, Proactive policing going on anymore. I think that's a thing of the past.
2: There's actually talks about... Having the police respond from the station house and not do patrol. I mean, well, listen. Let's all become become firemen. I love it. Well, this this
1: goes back to my this goes back to my theory originally that I've been pushing, and I really think um, that uh, the cities, these big cities, they want to rid themselves of these municipalities, the weight of uh, having to um, because they take a big chunk out of the budget. They want to. They want more control over the budget. And they see that people have their own money. Everybody knows exactly how much disposable income somebody has. And they're saying to themselves, you know what? If you don't like the job the police are doing, then hire your own private security. And all these neighborhoods, even in Manhattan, they're gonna become these gated communities, semi-gated communities. They're gonna have their own private police. And who's going to have the NYPD except for the people that don't want the freaking NYPD? But that you're going to basically be responsible for this, the high crime areas. But all the other areas, they're going to have their own security, they're going to have their own policing. And that's what we mentioned earlier about indemnifying yourself. Because in the future, what's going to happen, my opinion, is you're going to create your own little Uh, if you wanna be law enforcement, you're gonna wanna probably work private security because they pay more. You're gonna learn how to shoot, get a firearm. Uh, You're also gonna learn CPR. You're gonna probably know criminal justice and you're gonna learn some martial arts and that's gonna be your resume. And you're gonna go looking around for jobs and you're gonna be a great candidate and they probably get hired to work in midtown Manhattan in New York for one of these security companies. And that's the way it's going to be. And you're going to come with your own private uh, insurance. You'll be indemnified. So this way you can't sue the city. And when they get a call of these private security companies, who are they going to call? They're going to bring it to the precinct. They're going to process it. But it's all going to be privatized security. So if you want to sue somebody, who are you going to sue? The private security company? Get in line. They don't, they don't settle. You're going to have to go to court. You're going to have to fight it the whole way.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we're uh, we're facing some tough times here. And I'm, Mark, I'm not even going to disagree that a lot of that is going to be true but because the people who can and have the resources to protect themselves will do stuff like that. The vulnerable um, community members and the people who have who can't do that. I mean, what are they going to do? And, you know, I mean, it's all going to come back to the police anyway. I mean, I just don't see an end to it, you know.
1: Yeah. Because also that's another thing, the liability that the city has between these lawsuits with the cops. It's another thing that they want to shed. They want to shed all this money that's burdensome. That's why they broke down the jail, too.
2: The
1: jail doesn't help either. That's, that's part of it, too. Get it, they did it with sanitation years ago. Sanitation used to take, the sanitation department used to take everybody, commercial, residential, and then it was, uh, they broke it up because it was too top-heavy taking care of all these people. So that, that's when they invited the corruption in. Private jails are coming back, too, by the way.
2: So that's an interesting concept because, <clears throat> excuse me, the privatization of, the privatization of, of uh, prisons out in some Western places, I mean, judges have been arrested. No, we know that. We know that, already. Yeah, we know that already. But it's okay.
1: Because uh, it's okay. Because as long as we don't have to pay for it. The yeah. city <laughs> so wants to yeah. rid themselves. They want to be able to give away more money. Because if I give you money to stay home and not work, um, then you're going to vote for me.
0: But you know something, a lot with a lot of these, because of COVID, a lot of these businesses haven't been around right now. And once the businesses that pay the bills and pay the taxes for the city come back, they're not going to like what the city has become.
1: Okay, what about all this, uh, go, go to this residential real uh, this commercial real estate in this city
0: when everybody's working home? Well, why do, why do the businesses start losing the city and they have no They're not, they're not. they have
1: what, no tax base. What do I need an office for in New York City right now?
0: Well, I'm just saying Broadway, Broadway leaves, right? Wall Street leaves because of crime is out of control. There'll be no tax base. And these morons that are running our government, they'll be looking for a job, you know?
1: Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You mentioned Broadway. As soon as these companies decide, you know what? I'm not waiting this shit out anymore. Let's put us up and we'll go perform in the fucking states that are open. They're going to open up Broadway again. And that's a, a lot of this shit goes that way too. It's like uh, these people are dragging their feet. Right now, I just read this thing by Ron Paul. and Ron Paul said, okay, uh, we keep hearing about the, uh, the COVID, um, how many people have it. And the, the more we realize how much tests and how many people have it, we're all we're at this point right now it's not a pandemic anymore it's not there's not the death rate doesn't equal a pandemic so basically we're chasing around uh, people with colds
2: it's a mm-hmm. it's a power grab that's what it is right so but here's the thing right is regardless of what those numbers are the panic has already set in and i, I can tell you living in a very small area my county's 100,000 people the city, which I'm about ten miles away from, is fifty thousand. The rest of the county is another fifty thousand. So the inventory on real estate is scarce, and the buyers are abundant. Where's people the- are leaving big cities to come to these rural areas, yeah. and they can work remotely, and they want a wide open space.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing. It's like um, if you're not going to go into the office what difference does it make where I live and everybody's figuring that out so what am I going to pay uh this skyrocketing rent or own a million dollar apartment in the city when I can live upstate and for the same million dollars have a fucking beautiful home
0: million million,
1: (laughs) yeah I'll tell you
2: why they used to do it they used to do it because They would go to all the really cool, chic places in Midtown Manhattan and go to all of the good restaurants and the good bars. And if you're not allowed to do that anymore, well, then what's the sense? So that was the last last reason to stay in a big city was to have a really cool downtown area where you can go and socialize and party. And if they're going to shut that down and restrict you and social distance you and, and, you know, say you can only do 50%, you know. I mean, as, as this group gets older, I mean, those things wear off too. So between all of those things, um, the country is going to be, I believe, in the, in the near future, uh, much more widespread than the consolidated cities that you're seeing. And then it, it may come back in 10 or 20 years, but over the next five years, people Well,
1: look, being- in my generation, if, if you lived in the city when I was growing up, if you lived in Queens, and like, for, for example, Astoria, Um, and you started making some money, the move was to move out to Long Island. And then, as I got older and I became an adult, if you really had money, you moved back into Manhattan. You kept your (laughs) place in Long Island, but you had a place in Manhattan. So now, and these things happen. It's cyclical. It it just just happened through time. And right now, New York City is going to become one of those places where, you got to get the fuck out that, because yeah. before it gets better, before this knucklehead figures out um, or somebody has a way to get him out because are you really going to wait this guy out? Are you really going to wait, a, you know, another, and there's people asking for his head, but the truth is, he's going to have to do something right now because, um, you know, at some point these, like, for example, you mentioned earlier, Tom, about where these uh, homicides happen and how the people react to them. It's just a matter of time until they
2: drip downtown, you know? Well, one, I, and I hate to say it, and I pray that it doesn't happen, but one really, really bad one with, with what we used to call sexy address and a sexy victim, it's over, man. The place is going to explode, you know? And and we, I hate to say it, but, you know, as long as things are happening where they're currently happening, no one's going to budge. It's already happening to your you you know your point, Mark, is like how many more weekends are we going to go through until it's on Forty Second Street and Seventh Avenue? These guys I mean, look are at, look at shit.
1: Chicago, for example. I mean, like, how do you stand there if you're that uh, the mayor, or Life, or whatever she her name is, and just talk to people like how could you even talk, like how could you talk when every single weekend <laughs> it's a, it's like a war zone.
0: And she blames it on a different reason
1: every. week. Oh, every week. This no. Now it's Trump's fault. Yeah, Trump. It's Trump's fault that. Uh, you know what my favorite thing to see is. Uh, there's a a meme and it has all the years in in, in politics. Biden, uh, forty-seven years in politics. Uh, Schumer, uh, all her years, and then Trump, three years in politics. But yeah. it's all his
0: fault.
1: You know, what I'm saying it's like. If you if you like I don't care whether you're a fan or not, you can't say all this shit is is his fault because that's an easy it's a giveaway. It's like you're not thinking you're not being rational. You know, look at what you have at your hands right now. This is a systematic destruction of something that was going very, very well for the purpose of making sure that we get this president out and then we can resume life.
2: Yeah, so Mark, so to your point, and we could easily deviate into politics and and go down that road, but getting back to the police topic, regardless of whether you have a Democratic or a Republican run city, um, both of those parties need to be able to say, I appreciate what the cops are doing. I appreciate that they're putting themselves in harm's way and I want them to effectively police our community to keep it safe. Once you've given that up, I don't care what party you're on, it's over because so there and if, and we know that the Republican and I'm going to say now that I believe the Republican side of and I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, um, the Republicans are more supportive of what the police are trying to do. The Democrats used to be, Biden used to be a big supporter of police for all his 40 years in the Senate as a policeman, as a, as a Senator supporting the police. Um, but all of a sudden he's not. And if you can't get behind that and get behind the fact that these men and women are putting themselves in harm's way, I don't know what to say.
1: Right. So listen, I'm going to, we're, we're almost at the end. We we went way over today because usually we only do an hour with the after hours, but you're such a great guest. So we're at an hour and 18 minutes, but um, 18, well, really an hour. Cause you fucked around with your, uh, your camera for 19 minutes. But, uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I deserve
1: that. I deserve that. But um, it brings us back to this point, which was, um, that we started the show off with, which is uh different that the beauty of this country is different states and as far as i was concerned with what's going on in minneapolis and uh w- no in seattle with the chop to me it's like you know what if that's what they want to do let them give it give it a shot you don't want police that's you have the freedom in this country to live the way you want if people want to create a situation an area i saw this thing where they was uh, it was a documentary on um on, on Pot, where the most pot is grown. It's on Netflix. And there was this one mountain there. It's called Murder Mountain. And uh, the cops- Oh, in Humboldt were, County, California. Yeah, when the cops come to, uh, to, in, uh, in, to uh, investigate these murders, they get met at the bottom of the hill by all these yep. people. It's a mountain that they got to go up. And these yep. people are armed, whatever. So my thing is like, whatever which way you want to live, live. If that's the way your state is going to be, it's the beauty of this country. But at the same time, is you got to be able to, uh, you know, live with the consequences of it. You know, well, I you think,
2: mean? Mark, you're, 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 uh, you want to change it? Okay, no problem. What do you want to change it with? What's your answer? They say they want to change it. They want this to stop, but mm-hmm. they don't have the alternative plan. They're
1: working on it. They're working yeah. on it. Now, no, here's no, the problem, though. No, when things small, start going bad.
0: Oh, no, it's a small group of bullies that that are going bad. They always call for the police. But yeah, there's a small group of bullies trying to bully their way to a large group of people. This country is a country of laws. It's rule of law. You can never let thugs Yeah, but sometimes, Bill, you
1: have to let the people do what they want so they realize how stupid they are (laughs) until they come back into uh, 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 reality. Those people in Seattle, they had a dose of reality. With no police, they're going to kill each other. The businesses are there. They're going to rob you every night. So what happened? They succumbed. Now all of a sudden, they got to eat crow.
0: No, they didn't succumb. After after three murders, the stupid mayor had the Yeah, that's, know, exactly the that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The politicians local... are the worst people on this
1: earth. They really well, the, that's what I'm talking I'm talking about the politicians. They can create whatever nonsense they want. But at some point, they're going to call the cops because shit got fucked up. Like, I fu- I, just, I fucked up. I thought to, I could, because they, they don't understand. When I talk to people and I tell them what it's like to work in some of these neighborhoods, they never really quite understand because they've never been around it. Do you know what I'm saying? And I told people, I said, if they don't open up the beaches, people are going to freak out and they're going to fucking take the beaches and there's going to be riots. And that never came to fruition because. We had George Floyd. But I felt the tension in the city. I just felt like people needed to get out. And what did they do? It manifested into the protest every night that is still going out. People need to get out. They couldn't stay home. You know what I'm saying? As much as you want to, like, control this COVID, the reality is people need to be out. They can't stay home. We're social creatures. Yep. Give us a suit. Give me a fucking suit. Let me go out. Where are the suits right now? People actually have fucking suits with, with built-in air conditioners right now. What are we doing? Just so we can go back to what we wanted to do.
0: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking I about. I think here. we solved most of the world's problems during this hour and 22 minutes. We I did, how, didn't we? I, I thought we
1: doing. did. This is the point of the show where uh, we start, we're going to close down. We're going to go with parting words. Tom, I want to thank you for being a guest. You were great. Um, very, very knowledgeable. Um, and you're in Virginia.
2: I know. That's pretty interesting. I appreciate it, guys. <clears throat> I appreciate the invite. Professor Bill Cannon, I appreciate it. Uh, Mark, I, I can't wait. I, Mark, offline, I have a case for you where we locked up an improvisational comedian that I think you would love and appreciate to hear. So I'll share that with you offline one day. Okay. some funny stuff. Why the job was the greatest job in the world among a whole bunch of other reasons. But uh, Mark, thank you. Bill, thank you. I appreciate it. Um,
0: I just wanna give a plug for next week. I actually got retired LA County DA, um, Steve Cooley uh, is gonna be on the show. He's written two books with um, Captain Greg Meyer, who's a force expert. He wrote Blue Lives in Jeopardy and Blue Lives Matter. Blue Lives in Jeopardy talks about the murder of eight police officers in wow. uh, L.A. County. And they follow it up. Uh, he actually happens to be a Republican. You don't think a Republican could ever get elected to be a D.A. in L.A. County, but he was for 12 years. So, And he lost to Kamala Harris in 2012. She beat him by a very small margin. But he's going to be a great guest. We're going to have him on next week. And I'm told that I can't, this isn't in stone, I'm told July 27th, we're going to be back in the studio uh, for Police Off the Cuff, in the studio. And we're going to have some great guests coming on. We're hoping this, and it's all on Inside Blue 360. It's on um, Anchor, and we do it live on Facebook and also on YouTube. So there's my plug. That was a lot to say.
1: All right. Well, um, I just want to close out by saying that I'm going to follow the four points that you brought up, uh, Jack Maples' four points. Uh, and you, you mentioned how it's um, it could be used in day to day life. We, that's right,
0: landscaping. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, I
1: got. I I need some. I need some guidance here. Uh, yeah. I'm running out of tequila, so I need some guidance. But uh, thank you for coming on, Tom.
2: No, I appreciate uh, it. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Be safe oh. out there, folks. Hey, uh, uh, I want to hear thanks. that
1: story. So uh, when we sign off, uh, tell me the story.
2: <laughs> I will.
1: Is it, is, it, is it something that you're trying to hide? Not at all. I can share it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. share it before we go. Just share the story before
2: you. because <clears throat> So so they opened up the old 7 Annex on Washington Avenue, and the very first prisoner they ever processed was a serial rapist who used to do the comedy scene tour in, in Manhattan in an improvisational group. And his name was um, Mark, I won't say his name, and uh, but we'll, I'll just call him Jim Jim. <clears throat> and Jim Jim um, got arrested by the Special Victim Squad in Brooklyn, and he was the very first prisoner ever arrested at the 7-7 Annex. Um, he was up on the third floor. There was no other people up there um, in a cage, uh, you know, a, a temporary cell. And uh, he said, like, nobody's taking me serious. Nobody's taking me serious. I didn't do this. And so he figured out a way to escape. And he said, all those years of MacGyver, watching MacGyver finally paid off for me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so he figured out a way to rig his shoelaces, which he had, which he shouldn't have. To to manipulate the lock, and he was able to get out. So then, when he got to the second landing, he was confronted by detectives, and he goes, "Hey, how you doing?" And they go, "I'm great. How are you?" And he goes, "I'm great. I'm just on my way out." And the detectives go, "No problem. Take care." (laughs) Right? He walks by the desk officer and says, "Good night." And the desk officer goes, "Good night." (laughs) He literally calls from a payphone in front of the 77 and gets a cab. The camp picks him up, he winds up going to Baltimore. The fucking guy is in Baltimore. We're running around the Bronx, co-op city, Manhattan, Brooklyn, we're looking for him. Um, the 7-7 squad had the escape prisoner piece. The special victim squad was still carrying the seven rapes on a serial rapist. <clears throat> we get there, we go to Baltimore, we, we run around, we get the guy, so we're in a house. And we're, and we're talking to an old lady in the house. And she says, hey, um, my daughter, my friend's daughter lives with me. She's going to a university here in Baltimore. She's out with some guy named Jimmy. And we're like, Jim, Jim, that's him. When is she coming home? Well, she's due any minute, you know? And so we waited there and they show up. So she comes walking in the door and she's like wide eyed. What the fuck? We go running outside. So it's me and two other guys from the seventh squad, three big fat white guys running down the street with a bunch of Baltimore cops, right? And then and, and this is what he said. He said, when we locked him up and this, this speaks to the use of force that we, and we all talk about cuffs and handcuffs on and off is like, we were running, we were running. And he said, because he was a comedian, I saw you guys running at me with the NYPD ray jackets, and all I could hear in slow motion was, bad guy, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you, right? And he goes, and you go, motherfucker, get on the ground. Motherfucker, get on the ground. Get out of the fucking car, motherfucker. And then click, click, click. OK, sir, watch your head getting back into the car. Be careful, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. And he goes, what the hell happened? You guys were, like, brutal. And, and fucking really mean. And then you put the handcuffs on. You were really nice. Well, anyway, long story short. Um, he exited. He entered all the women from behind. In his serial rape cases. And it's because he had a herniated scrotum. And his balls. They were the size of fucking volleyballs. Oh God. And I'm not joking. And when we, we saw him. And we, we, we searched him at the baltimore police department we're like what the fuck is that and he's like guys um i got this thing and he goes well that makes all sense to us reading the complaints we now know why you entered all those women that you violated from behind and he's like oh come on man uh and, he, and we got a confession out of that because we made him feel bad about it And then we drove all the way, he went before the judge in Baltimore and the judge said, do you waive extradition? And the judge, and and then Jim Jim says, all due respect to you and your fine city, sir, but I'm gonna go back to New York with these fine gentlemen, (laughs) right, right? Right? He drives back with us two years later in trial on the fucking escape. And remember, you know how in court when they go, you know, uh, you know, Kevin McCann, the detective, was on the stand. And he says, Kevin, do you see uh, the subject that you apprehended in Baltimore here today? And Jim Jim's going, hey, Kev, Kev, it's me, Kev. And, and then the, the defense attorney goes, stop, a jerk, can go have a bench meeting and everything? And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? The, the defendant was IDing himself in the fucking trial. you know. <laughs> and, and do you know that that guy got out? He did his time, got out and sent us through department mail, through regular mailing addresses, and they eventually put all the invitations to Kevin, Tom, and John. Kevin McCann, John and Tommy Joyce. He sent us invitations to all his shows in the future. He loved us. Well, did, he oh, man, cool. did, he get, did he ever get his balls fixed? Did he ever get his balls fixed? We did not ever catch up with him after the fact, Mark, <laughs> so I don't know. I would assume he got his, his uh, herniated. That big, that big ball uh, syndrome is, is horrible. I, I thought the punchline was going to be, yeah, it's the guy over there with the big balls. With the big <laughs> balls, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I mean, I mean, he did terrible things to those women, and uh, it was all date rape stuff. He was very charming. He was very good looking. He was very funny, um, and he was getting all the girls, but then he took advantage of them, and he had about seven under his belt, and then he escaped, but he was a funny, How much time did he have to do? He did about two or three years. Not all the victims operated. That, see, that's that's it. That's if you seven,
1: you should at least get a, a year for every freaking girl, man. Yeah, You're going to be getting out in two or three years.
2: A stand-up comedian. Is, life, are we? Are we not on? Is it just no, us three now? On. No, we're still. We're on. On. Oh, okay, okay. We're I'm not going to say his last name. Well, it was.
1: I just wanted to hear the story. I felt like you know what? It's why why if you got a great story, let's hear hey, it. Mark,
0: Do you have swollen balls? no no not like that not like that (laughs) (laughs) maybe it was you I was a 7-7
2: caper so
1: all right all right right. so uh, here we go we're gonna end it up we're gonna wrap it up right here thanks again for coming on Tom Joyce Um, Bill was a pleasure once again we'll talk in a few minutes I'll give you you a call and uh, thank you guys for tuning in man another episode of Police Off the Cuff after hours in the books man
2: all right keep up the great work guys Thank you about so. the great work.